You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. And all God's people said, amen. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke and you can be seated. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke, Gospel of Luke. And we are in, we are in chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 27. We'll be reading through verse 54. Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 27. I've titled the message, Flatter, Flattery, Fleece, and Pharisees. And I have three questions for you today, or three points to this sermon, that I want you to really contemplate and really think about. Okay? Uh, all of you know the book's written by who? Trick question, the Holy Spirit. No, I'm teasing. But it is true. Uh, Luke wrote this book. He wrote it to a man by the name of who? Theophilus. He wrote it to a friend of his by the name of Theophilus who was going through his own catechism, you might say, his own uh, catechumen, I believe. Uh, Reggie is the right word, catechumen. And uh, he's in the process of being trained and equipped and discipled And uh, so what Luke does, while Paul is probably in prison, Luke begins to bring all of this information together, doing all of his research. He's he's a master historian. He's tremendous in telling a story. And he gives us a chronological view of the life of Jesus Christ. And boy, he just moves Theophilus after stage and moment and event through the life of Christ. And now we're moving toward the cross. Now, in Luke chapter 11, beginning with 27. Are you there? Say amen if you're there. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Now, real quickly, I want to ask you a question. In your life, are you complimenting Jesus or are you conforming to Him? I think that if Jesus had said anything, I think that if we could have put this in modern day language, when this woman said what she did, you know what I believe Jesus would have said in, in modern day? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This was the equivalent of a preacher pe- preaching a message and people walking out and going, Brother Pastor, I just want you to know I enjoyed it. <laughs> Brother Jeff, I just want you to know I enjoyed it. Brother Jeff, just want you know, you realize how many times a preacher hears that? This was the equivalent of what this woman was saying with Jesus. In other words, it wasn't necessarily a compliment. You see, Jesus understood something about human nature. Compliments sometimes are our way of removing conviction. Did you hear that? Compliments are sometimes our way of removing conviction. A lot of times what we do is we want to say, we'll say to a pastor, well, I enjoyed it because the truth of the matter is, it's like giving it back to the pastor as you're leaving. It's a means of ignoring or disregarding or rejecting the message. You know, Jesus received it, I think, quite often. People complimented Jesus all the time. People still compliment Jesus today. 
People say that Jesus is the greatest moral and ethical figure that has ever walked across the pages of history. Jesus is the greatest advocate of the poor and the downcast. There's never been a figure in all of history like Jesus. The Quran, the Islamic book, the Quran, speaks very highly of Jesus. The Hindu brag on Jesus. The Buddhists brag on Jesus. Gandhi bragged on Jesus. Hitler even had some good things to say about Jesus. There are a lot of people who are willing to give Jesus all kinds of compliments. Man, listen to me. There are atheists that will compliment the historical figure of Jesus. There are agnostics that will brag on him. There are politicians that will use this title Christian. And there are politicians that will brag on Jesus and talk about his moral and ethical stands. There are athletes that will score and point their finger while living an ungodly and immoral life. There are athletes that will do the sign of the cross as they're achieving some victory or some event when their life no way models Jesus Christ. They're merely giving Him a compliment. There are coaches and people in all walks of life. This is why Jesus said to His disciples in Matthew 16, 13, He said, Who do men say that I am? Man, they begin to say, Look, some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're you're one of the prophets. Some say that you're Elijah. You know what Jesus said to all of that? Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you one thing you and I cannot do. We cannot sweet talk our way into heaven. You hear that? You see, the danger is that we brag on Jesus, but there's no behavior to back it up. We compliment Jesus, but we're not conforming to Him. There's a book right now that's having a radical influence in my life outside of the Bible. It's a book Jeffrey gave me. He said, Dad, read this and tell me what you think. He said, man, I got lost in it toward the beginning of it. He said, just struggling with it. He said, I want you to read it. It's called Re-Jesus the Church, basically. Re-Jesus the Church, kind of like reboot a computer. And he says, and, and what the writer says is the church forgot what we're about. We are about conforming people to the image of Christ. We're not about prosperity. We're not about blessing. We're not about need-based sermons. We are about making you little Jesus as where you live and where you work. That's our responsibility. We are not here to compliment Christ. We are here to conform and become like Him. But we have substituted in the church worship, prayer, offering, Bible reading for obedience... So Jesus says to this woman, He says, No, blessed rather are those who hear the Word of God and do what? They obey it. You know what the word blessed means? What does the word blessed mean? Anybody know? Happy. Thank you, Andy. Andy's right here. See there? You can't give those kind of answers until you're right in front of the pulpit. With your Bible up there like that. Taking notes. He's either brown-nosing the preacher or he's serious. No, I'm teasing. (laughs) But the word blessed means happy. Jesus says to you and I, and He says to this woman who gives this empty compliment, He says, rather blessed are those, happy are those who hear the Word of God and obey it. You know, I wrote down here, 
reason there's not much happiness anymore in the church and maybe in some of our lives is there's not much obedience. You ever see an unhappy Christian? Let me tell you why a Christian's unhappy. Most of the time it's due to disobedience. Not always. A lot of times it's due to the disobedience of the people that love, they love. Children or somebody else living in rebellion or whatever it is. But it's disobedience. Jesus said, listen, happy, you and I will be happy when we hear the Word of God and we obey it. Now that's not easy. I mean, you know, in some ways we may say that's not easy. But think about it this way. You tell your child, listen, you've got a child when, and they're coming home from school. You say now, you get down, you say, now listen to me. I want you to listen closely. When you come home from school tomorrow, are you listening? I want you to come in. I want you to put your stuff away. I want you to clean that nasty, filthy room of yours up. After you clean your room, I want you to do your homework. Don't turn Look at me. Don't you turn away. You look at me. When you get through doing your homework... You can go play until mom calls you for supper. After you eat don't you look, you look at me. After you finish eating supper, are you listening? Nod your head. Are you listening? Nod your head. Okay. After you get through with supper, you get your bath and you can watch 30 minutes of TV. Do you understand? Yes, sir. Dad comes in the next day. Junior's out in the yard playing ball with the kids. Comes in the house, walks by the room. Room's filthy. Looks and the books are still in the book bag. They ain't even been taken out. Walks in, wife's and mama's in there cooking supper. And she says, uh, he walks in and says, well, uh, did Junior do any?" She just turns around and says, no, he didn't do nothing you said. Dad walks out to the front door. If he's a good dad, he says, Junior, come here. I don't care if you're playing ball, son. I said, come here now. Send you, hey, boys, get on home. Get out of here. Go on to your house. Pick your stuff up, son. Come inside. Go to your room. Dad walks in there and son says, says, son, you didn't do anything I told you to do. You didn't clean your room. It's a dump in here. You didn't do your homework. Your book's still over there in your bag. Your mom tells me that you didn't do one thing I asked you to do. When you came in, you grabbed your bat and ball and went out and started playing with your friends. Well, Dad, all the other kids, I don't care what the other kids are doing. I'm not their dad. I'm your dad. You listen to me. You obey me. Well, Dad, I just want you to know something. I was telling them boys out there, you're the best dad in the whole wide world. I love you, Dad. You're the best dad. I love my dad. I said, my dad, my dad is stronger than all the other daddies. My daddy's the best daddy in the world. He gives me all kinds of stuff. I said, man, I love my dad. Daddy, I love you. Come here, Dad. Let me just hug your neck. You may laugh, but that's the way some churches are when they're worshiping. They live in a habitual, willful disobedience, and then they want to come together as a corporate body and hug God's neck. You know what God says? A friend of the world is what to God? An enemy. Jesus was simply saying to this woman, you cannot compliment me and not conform to me. So he says, if you're hearing the word of God and you're obeying it, that's when you're going to be happy. Listen, I made this statement. 
And I, and I wrote it down because I thought, boy, this would be worth putting in your Bible. So when I'm dead and gone, some of you may have it. After salvation, nothing will substitute for obedience. Did you get that? Write that in your Bible. Write that in the front cover of your Bible. So when I'm dead and gone, you say, you know, I remember something my pastor said one time in June in 2011. Some of you may need it after the rapture. After salvation, nothing will substitute for obedience. So here, first of all, are we complementing or conforming? Now let's read on. Look at verse 29. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. I have to stop there. Jesus, could we talk for a minute? This is some poor recruiting here. I mean, you look at Jesus over and over again. Anytime there was a crowd of people gathered around him, it almost as if he just literally is repulsed by it and does something that begins to upset the crowd. So Jesus said, as the crowd increased, this is a wicked generation that asked for a miraculous sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will be the Son of Man to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. Can I ask you a second question? Do you walk by fleece or by faith? You see, this crowd, basically, in all honesty, they were spectators. They were flooding. They were, this was a, this was congestion. Boy, they were all pressing in on Jesus. This was men, women, and children. And I can tell you what they were looking for. They were looking for a sign. Now I want you to think a minute again. Do you walk by fleece or do you walk by faith? These people were, they were on the peripheral. They were not committed. They were critiquing and grading the show that Jesus was putting on because that's what they thought it was. And I have to say that a lot of times this is the majority of congregations. People who want to enjoy the benefits of God without committing and conforming to Him. We want God to bless us, doesn't matter how we live. And we think a compliment. So here you have, here you have very clearly a crowd that was wanting to walk by fleece and not by faith. These were people who wanted benefits, they wanted signs, they wanted food, but they didn't want any responsibility. Now what is this like? Hey, hey girls, this is the God that says to you, if you love me, you will fill in the blank. What he's saying to you, young lady, or what he's saying, what she's saying to you, young man, is if you will do this, if you will do this, if you will compromise your convictions and your values and your principles, and you'll just give in, I tell you what, if you'll give me this, I'll give you that. And we have a nation today that's sick and drunk on sex. Because people will compromise everything they believe for what is termed today recreational sex. 
Some people, this is the way they approach the spiritual things in their life. God, I don't plan on conforming to you. God, I'm not going to commit to you. God, I'll give you a compliment every once in a while. But God, I need you to give me a blessing. I need to give you a sign. I need you to give me a sign. How many of us live our lives walking by signs? You know, people will ask sometimes, is this wrong? I want you to take a left. Go over to Judges, all the way in the Old Testament there. And I want to show you something real quickly. Go to Judges chapter 6. Okay, Judges chapter 6. And I want you to see this, verse 1. All the way go at Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Just go right on that. You'll find Judges, okay? Right after Joshua, Judges. Judges chapter 6, verse 1. Now this is a time in the nation of Israel when they're not doing very good. And so God sends them judges sometimes to try to help them and provide some leadership. Now in Judges chapter 6 verse 1, Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years He gave them into the hands of the Midianites. He gave them into the hands of their enemy because they were living in disobedience. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. In other words, they put up barbed wire fences, they put up dural walls, they hired security, they put in security systems, they put bars on their windows, bars on their doors. Does that sound familiar to you? They were afraid they lived in clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, other eastern people would invade the country. They camped on their land. They ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. They did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkey. They came up with their livestock, their tents, like a swarm of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land. They ravaged it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. In other words, people who had not worked hard and were coming and taking from those who did. Sound familiar? Sounds like our church. Skip on down there to verse 14. God begins to speak to Gideon. This man, now Gideon doesn't want to go. In verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have. In other words, Gideon, I know you don't have much strength. He would refer to Gideon as mighty man of God. And Gideon was scared to death and shaken. He said, God, you got the wrong man. Get somebody else. And, and God would call him a mighty man of God. He says in verse 14, Lord turned to him and said, go in the, Gideon, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of, the Midian's, out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Now look at verse 17. Gideon replied, if now I've found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you now. Now here's what Gideon asks. Gideon says, God, I need a sign. Now now flip over there, go a little bit farther, verse 36. How many of us talk about laying out the fleece? Well, you know, just, hey, we think this is really deep and spiritual. Well, you know what you need to do in this decision. You just need to lay out the fleece. Watch in verse 36. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised. Okay, notice the word if. He doubts what God had promised. That's why he has to have fleece. If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. There's dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry. Then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. And that is what happened. 
Gideon rose early the next day, squeezed out the fleece, wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me just make one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time make the fleece dry and the ground cover it with dew. In other words, do the opposite that you did last night. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. What's wrong with walking by fleece and not by faith? What's wrong with a sign? A sign is the opposite of faith. You see, Hebrews chapter 1, in fact, I, I tell you what, just take a right from, take a right from uh, Luke there and go over to Hebrews. Go all the way back toward the back of your Bible and look at Hebrews chapter 1, to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Or just listen to it, because I don't have time to wait on you. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for. Now, hope for. now listen to this, and certain of what we do not see. Okay? Faith does not require a sign. Faith is this. Faith is being sure of what I hope for, and it's me being certain of what I cannot see. I don't need a sign from God. I don't walk by signs. I don't walk by fleece. I walk by faith. Hear me, God will not allow you and I to live our lives, this spiritual pilgrimage propped up by signs and wonders to bolster our weak faith. You see, fleece does this. When people say, well, you know, I'm I'm just going to put out the fleece. Let me tell you something. I don't have to put out the fleece with Sheila and I about nothing. Sheila and I have such an intimate, close relationship that if I need her thought and I need her opinion, you know what I do? I just go to her and I ask her. There's some nights when my heart is so heavy, when I'm so weighed down, Sheila would just say, come over here, and I'll lay down and lay my head on her chest and I'll hear the heartbeat of Sheila. I'll wrap my arms around her sometimes and just weep. See, when you and I have to lay out the fleece, it's because we don't have the intimate walk with Christ that we ought to have. Because when you and I are in prayer, when we are in an intimate relationship, when we're consistently in the Word of God, when we're walking with Christ so deeply, so securely, my friend, we can hear the very heartbeat of Christ. And we know what the answer is. Most of the time His Word will be so clear to us. God, listen to this. God has the answer to every question you and I will ever face right here. It's just a matter of obeying it. And so here, fleece puts God on trial. Now listen to this, it'll keep God on trial. Hey, did you notice this? Gideon had to go back and ask him again. You see, once we ask God to do this, God do this and then I'll know. No, that's not enough. Because see, you'll, you know what you think? Listen, I, I know. You know what we think? That was a coincidence. <laughs> that was a fluke. God, I'm not really sure. Let's, let's do it again. Let's, let's change the odds up a little bit, God. Come on, God. Do it again. Give me a sign. You see, it not only puts God on trial, it keeps God on trial. It becomes addictive. We're not walking by faith. We're walking by fleece. We're laying out the fleece on everything. We begin not to have an intimate relationship with Christ because we're too busy putting out fleece. It indicates a relationship that is not based on trust. 
because it demands proof. It is no longer faith, but it is what the world walks by. That's what the world says to God. Just give us a sign. Then we'll believe. You know what Thomas, when Thomas came and Jesus, you remember he said, I'm not going to believe until I put my hands in his, in his scars. You know what Jesus said to Thomas after he did that? This is what Jesus did. He said, come here, Thomas. Come on. Since he wasn't there at the last gathering. Come here, Thomas. Look at my hands. Thomas, pull the sandals off. Look at my feet. Thomas, get down. Thomas, come here. Thomas, come here. Look closely, Thomas. Thomas, No, Thomas. Thomas, put your hand there. Go deep, Thomas. Go down in the wound, Thomas. And then he looked at Thomas and he said, Thomas, let me tell you something. He said, blessed are those who will follow me and commit their lives and die martyrs' deaths who will never in the centuries to come have an opportunity to do what you did. They will walk by faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, you know what it says? Listen to this. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. If I have to test and test Sheila and try to figure out whether she's lying to me, if I can't know whether she's telling me the truth, if our relationship is not based on an intimate, personal, intimate relationship that's built on trust, my friend, I don't have nothing. And I'll need one sign after another. And some in this room, that's how you live your life. And you think there's nothing wrong with it because somewhere, somewhere, somebody told you that you had a right to put a sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient God on trial to put on a show for you. What does He have to heal? What does He have to mend? What does He have to do in your life? Do you have to solve your financial problems? Does he, has to, does he have to bless you? Does He have to heal your marriage? Does He have to heal your child? Does He have to give you this and give you that in order for you to believe? My friend, that's not faith, that's fleece. And that doesn't please God at all. People who please God are men like Job who looked up toward the heavens and said, Though He slay me, yet will I praise Him. Or Habakkuk who looked and said from the tower and looked up toward the heavens and said, God of the Babylonians come and they take everything that we have. He said, The just shall live by faith. Are you complimenting or conforming? You walking by fleece? Are you walking by faith? And finally, lastly, are you a Pharisee? Jesus went on to talk about the lamp of the body in verses 33, and I'm, I'm not going to read through this because we're running out of time. He says, no, but listen to the first part. No one lights a lamp, puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. So that those who come in, instead he puts it on a stand, so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body is full of light, but when they're bad, your body is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light, and no part of it in darkness, it will be completely lighted as when a light shines on it. God, forgive me for lying. I said I wouldn't read it. Have you ever thought sometimes, are you a Pharisee? I know I do. Sometimes I read these Pharisees and I think, sounds a lot like me. Do 
Jesus speaks about the eye of faith. G. Campbell Morgan said this. He said, Jesus has given the Holy Spirit. The light is shining. It's shining now. If you are in darkness, then there's something wrong in your eye and your spiritual life. Then in, verse 40, then in verse 37, Jesus ends. He says, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with, his, with him. So he went in, he reclined at the table. Boy, I don't want to stop. This is good. Some of you can go ahead and leave. You have to leave. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him in to eat with him. So he went in, reclined at the table. But the Pharisee noticed that Jesus did not wash his hands before the meal was, and, and, and was surprised. Now watch this. And the Lord said to him, Now when you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but in, he said, You Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You know what Jesus did here? He did something that upset him. You know what he did? He disregarded ceremonial washing. That's what he did. And their thought was, their thought was, shame on you, Jesus. Jesus understood there was something about the Pharisees. They were a stickler for details and traditions. But they messed the weightier things. Let me give you this real quickly. Look at verse 41. Man, I don't want to stop. Verse 41 but I will. No, let's just stop. Um, how do we end it? I'll let you go back and read it. You can, uh, verse 41, he just accused the Pharisees of being concerned over the external, not the internal. You may look good on the outside, but my friend, God sees you on the inside. You may have everybody in this congregation duped, but you don't have God duped at all. He goes right to the heart of the matter. And listen to me. If your inside and my outside, if your outside and my outside appears to be cleaner than our inside, we are a hypocrite, we are a Pharisee. Secondly, verse 42, and you can just write these down. There's an inversion of values. They obeyed what they wanted to obey. That's what Jesus accused them of doing. Number three, verse 43, they had evil motives. He said they loved the important seats in the synagogues, greeting in the marketplace. They were motivated by popularity, prestige, power, and position. Number four, verse 44, he said their corruption was like an unmarked grave. You know what he was saying? He was saying, you Pharisees, you teachers of the law, he said, your teaching is corrupting the people who are following you. I remember when we used to walk around when we were kids, we'd look around the cemetery. You know what mom and dad told us to do? Step, you ever did that? Step over the grave. Step over the grave. Son, don't step on the grave. And I'd look and say, but they're dead. What's it matter? Well, just don't do it. It's disrespectful. Jesus was saying that these men were like unmarked graves. They were full of dead men's bones. In other words, he says, your teaching corrupts, taints, and pollutes, and it's not good. But these people don't know it because they're graves that are not marked. Number five, verse 46, they were experts in the law. 
But they had rewritten the law and forgotten the weightier things. Number six, verse 47, they ignored and persecuted the prophets. They professed admiration for the prophets, but they killed them. Verse 52, and this is where we'll close. In verse 52, and let me read this. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who are entering. Let me close with this. What he was saying is, you've shut the common man off from the Torah. Scriptures were made... Scriptures were were done like this. The teachers of the law, those experts in the law, were keeping the law, keeping the Word of God from the people, and instead were kind of telling them, we'll tell you what it says. Hang on a minute while I look. Okay, now i got something to tell you. Don't you look. Don't you think for yourself. I'm going to tell you one thing. You don't have a leader like that. I refuse to spoon feed you. I beg you, I plead with you every day to get so in love with this that you don't... Listen, I just told you a moment ago that every answer to every problem you have is right here. I wish to God you would challenge me on something. Or at least we could have a conversation about it. We can't even have a conversation after this. You know how many conversations I've had? You know how many conversations I probably had in the last year on something I preached after the sermon? About that, there, there is one exception. There's one person that a lot of times will come down and comment, make a statement. But outside of that person, very little. My sister, and all of you know her, my sister quoted this verse, verse, verse 52. She was a member of a big church in Florida. Okay, Now, my sisters had cancer, Broken marriage, had to raise three kids by herself. The middle child was what we believe murdered. The middle child, when she was murdered at 26, left four kids. My sister had to take the baby and raise the baby as her own. Her other daughter took the other three kids and are raising them. My sister went through the real real estate crisis as a real estate agent in Florida. My sister's been through... My sister had cancer, has had surgery, and is on treatment even now on medication because of her cancer. Broken marriage, murdered daughter, four kids to raise, grandkids to raise by herself. My sister's been through it. Her church in Florida, a church runs over a thousand, big church. At the funeral, some of the leadership gathered at the home there with the meal. In the course of the meal, I asked because they were without a pastor. I said, how's your pastor search committee doing? They said, we're doing good, man. We got a man. He's a friend of John Piper. I'd rather be a friend of Jesus. He didn't ever mention Jesus. He was just a friend of John Piper. Well, that automatically made me nervous. I said, well, then he must be a Calvinist. He said, oh, yes, he is. I said, well, there's a congregation Calvinist. Man, a deacon in the church and a committee on the, on the pulpit committee or part of the committee or somehow tied to the committee, he laughed and he said, they don't know what they are. 
I said, they do too. And when you let that Calvinist start preaching to Southern Baptists, I said, you'll find out real quickly. Well, he came. And he wasn't long before he had that Calvinistic agenda. Now, that's predestination, election. All of them are good biblical terms. We just see them differently as Southern Baptists from the Presbyterian. We love Presbyterian, but we don't see the same way they do. Well, he started preaching that from the pulpit. Full bird colonel walked in and told the committee, said, look, you ain't going to shove that down my throat, and he left the church. My sister began to struggle. She had sit and struggle. And then the next thing they did, started bringing materials in from preschool and the children and preschool, and all everything was Calvinistic. Finally, my sister couldn't stand it anymore. We're talking about a thousand-plus church on any given Sunday, multiple services. Stood up right in the middle, had held every position in that church, stood up in the middle of the church, walked down to, to the front and said to the pastor, I've got something I want to say. Now, we're talking about a packed church a lot larger than this one. Packed. Multiple services. He said, I've got something I'd like to say. Pastor said, well, well, go ahead. She said, I think this church is making a mistake. We don't, we don't know. We don't know what God, how God chooses. One minute he says he chooses, the next minute he tells us to choose. We don't understand it. It's the paradox of Scripture. The greatest minds in the world have struggled over, over this whole concept. We don't know the answer to that. She said, but I know this, our church is moving in a direction that's going to cost us greatly. And then she turned and looked at the leadership, and this is what she read. She said, woe to you experts in the law, because they had laughed at her and made fun of her in a committee meeting. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge you yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who are entering. My sister stood up, went through that, read that, church, read that passage, warned that congregation. And about a year, a little over a year later, that congregation voted her out of the membership of that church. Proud. Sometimes you and I pay a cost to take a stand and to do what is right. But I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you complimenting Christ? Or are you conforming your life into the image of Him? Are you, are you here just walking by fleece? As you look back over your life, are you just simply walking by fleece, laying out fleece, wanting a sign here, wanting a sign there? Or are you walking by faith? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Could I ask you one more thing? Are you a Pharisee? Sometimes I look at my life and I think, God, I feel like a Pharisee. Sound like a Pharisee, God forgive. I don't know how people are going to be in the kingdom other than the fact that you and I are to share Christ with them. That's all I know. I'm a C.S. Lewis man on that point. He pretty much said, love that is coerced is no love at all. But I know this, I know that God loves us. 
He's provided a means of salvation for every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room. And I want you to stand up right now. I want you right now to ask yourself a question. First of all, am I a Christian? Am I a follower of Jesus Christ? Do I know Christ? Am I living for Him? You see, first of all, is your name in the Lamb's book of life? Do you know Christ? Are you saved? Can you look back over your life and say, you know, it was at that moment. You see, I can look back over my life. Not when I was baptized. I was baptized when I was a nine-year-old boy. I got saved when I was a grown man in my second church. When I got down on my knees in front of my desk on blue carpet in a church fellowship Baptist church in Lauderdale County, out six and a half miles outside of Meridian. And I said, God, I don't know if I died where I'd spend eternity. And I was a preacher. And I've got to settle this. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. May you write my name right now in the Lamb's book of life. I need to know that I am saved because I'm tired of living like this. And I settled it. My chairman of deacons baptized me that Sunday night along with five other people who had given their heart and life to Christ. I swallowed a lot of pride that day when I did that. But I was obedient to God. One day I'll be in heaven because of it. Are you saved? Number two, can I ask you something? Do you look like Jesus? I'm not talking about when you're here. I'm talking about when you're with your friends. I'm talking about when you go on vacation. You want to know what we really are? You watch us on vacation. You'll find out what we are. Do you go to church on vacation? Oh, this is our Sunday off. Do you do things on vacation you wouldn't do anywhere else? Do you watch stuff on your laptop or in the privacy of your bedroom? Are you doing something that nobody else knows about? Do you pull your phone and look at stuff that you shouldn't be looking at? Because you can do that now. Is there any accountability in your life? Are you and I, are we, listen, are we complimenting Christ? Are we conforming to Him? Are we little Jesuses? Or are we Pharisees? With heads bowed and with eyes closed, nobody looking around. I want to invite you right now to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want you right now with heads bowed and nobody looking around right now. If Christ is dealing with you and you don't know if you're saved or not, you're not sure if you died where you'd spend eternity. You just don't know for certain. You walk by fleece. You don't walk by faith because you have no faith. Because the just live by faith. But Christ is dealing with you. I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. If you're here today and you don't know, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I have failed you many times. But I know that you love me. And you died on that cross for me. And right now, I ask you to come into my heart to forgive me of my sin and to be my Lord and my Savior. 
I thank you, Jesus. And I pray this prayer of faith right now. Amen. I want you to look this way. If you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask our counselors to come. They're going to come on right now and they're going to be down here standing. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, you say, Brother Jeff, I prayed that prayer, I meant it. Then I want to encourage you, I want to invite you to come. You know what we believe? We believe that God predestined the whosoever wills. That's what we believe as Southern Baptists. It's what we've always preached. He just predestined the whosoever wills. And He said, whosoever will, let him come. And He's inviting you to come. And if you prayed that prayer and you meant it in your heart, there's no amount of pride, there's nothing that would keep me from coming, stepping out of that pew and saying, Brother Jeff, Reggie, Ledge, I prayed that prayer, I meant it. And I'm coming today making it public. You come. As our praise team leads us, you come. You need to come and pray at this altar. Tired of complimenting, I'm ready to conform, whatever it may be.